The Daily 202 Podcast is brought to you by Indeed.com. Right now, small businesses have to be more efficient than ever, and that means every hire is critical. Indeed, the number one job site in the world, is here to help. Get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, September 16th. In today's news, the Gulf Coast floods, but firefighters contain one of the worst fires in Oregon. A new report says the Boeing 737 MAX crashes resulted from a horrific culmination of errors. And Brianna Taylor's family reaches a settlement with the city of Louisville. But first, the big idea. President Trump faced tough questions last night from undecided voters during an ABC News town hall in Pennsylvania. The president was pressed to defend his botched responses to the coronavirus, racial justice protests, and health care. He emphasized that he would do nothing differently at all with regard to his response to the pandemic, despite nearly 200,000 Americans now having died from the outbreak. He blamed China for the coronavirus and said he saved many lives by closing up the country, as he put it. His claim he could not have done more to slow the virus has been rebutted by basically every epidemiologist. Trump then blamed cities and states run by Democrats for any problems with the response to coronavirus, as well as for crime and violence in the country. And he promised to release sweeping health care and immigration plans, despite not doing so over the last three and a half years. Our fact checker, Glenn Kessler, documented 24 materially false statements that the president made during the hour-long program. Meanwhile, the president's man at the Department of Health and Human Services, Michael Caputo, apologized during a staff meeting yesterday for publicly accusing his colleagues and subordinates of sedition. Talk about an awkward Zoom call. During the meeting, the assistant health secretary, who ironically oversees all pandemic-related communications, apologized for his rambling remarks on Facebook Live over the weekend and the embarrassment they brought upon him and the agency. He also indicated that his departure might be imminent, saying he's considering taking a medical leave. Caputo added that his family has been receiving threats and his physical health is in question. Several current and former officials say the recent controversies engulfing Caputo threaten a critical public relations campaign to win trust in a coronavirus vaccine that's already been so politicized. White House officials are in discussions with HHS Secretary Alex Azar about Caputo's future. Now, Caputo, a Trump loyalist who worked on the 2016 campaign, back in the 2000s had a PR contract from Russia to improve Vladimir Putin's public image in the United States. Seriously. Lately, He's been seeking to exert control over the messages coming from scientists and top health officials since Trump installed him at the agency in April. Democrats on Monday called for Caputo's resignation. On Tuesday, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer called for Azar's resignation. The Washington Post reported over the weekend that Caputo and a top aide, Paul Alexander, have attempted to interfere in the weekly scientific missives produced by the CDC known as the Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Reports. McMaster University in Ontario, Canada, where Alexander claims he's a part-time assistant professor, also sought to distance itself from him on Monday. 
The school put out a statement saying Alexander got his Ph.D. from McMaster in 2015, but he is not currently teaching and is not paid by the university for his consulting contract role. The school emphasized that he does not in any way speak for or represent them. And newly released internal emails show how Azar overrode objections from FDA Chief Steve Hahn in his push to ease testing rules, revoking the FDA's ability to check the quality of coronavirus tests developed by individual labs for personal use. The policy change was long sought by commercial university and public health labs in the name of flexibility, but Hahn viewed the move as inappropriate and ill-timed because it removed critical safeguards designed to prevent inaccurate test results from flooding the market during this crisis. But he was overruled. Amid all the palace intrigue, which has real-world implications, it's also important to remember the human element of this contagion. The most comprehensive U.S. accounting to date of pediatric infections and fatalities shows there have now been about 400,000 confirmed cases of coronavirus among people under the age of 21. There have been 121 deaths among that cohort. Of those who have been killed, the CDC says more than 75% have been Hispanic, Black, and American Indian children, even though they represent 40% of the U.S. population. One key factor is underlying health disparities among minority kids. About 75% of those who have died from COVID had at least one underlying condition. Most frequently, they were asthma or obesity, two conditions that disproportionately occur in minority youths. But there also continue to be glimmers of hope. Here in D.C., the city just reported a fifth day without a single virus-related death. That's our longest stretch in two months. And the mayor reopened the downtown convention center, which had for months been a field hospital that was waiting for a corona surge. Finally, here's some practical news you can use. Tony Fauci says that most of the so-called immune-boosting supplements out there actually do nothing. But he said there are two supplements that he recommends people take regularly to keep their immune systems strong, especially amid the pandemic. The top expert on infectious diseases in the government says he and his wife both take vitamin D and vitamin C supplements every day. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, Hurricane Sally is still slogging toward the northern Gulf Coast, where it threatens to unleash historic amounts of rain that could trigger extreme life-threatening flash flooding through Wednesday. The center predicts the long-duration storm could produce as much as 30 inches of rain between southeastern Mississippi and the Florida Panhandle, with widespread amounts of 10 to 20 inches. Torrential rain and tropical storm force winds walloped coastal Alabama and the Florida Panhandle yesterday. And the storm's effects are expected to intensify as Sally comes ashore later this morning near the Alabama-Florida border. And hazardous smoke from the wildfires could continue to smother the West Coast for days. While a brief long-awaited rain arrived along the Oregon coast on Tuesday, clearing up the skies in some parts of the state, officials warned that dangerous smoke will remain in the air through at least Thursday. The smoke that the wildfires in the American West has sent skyward has traveled across the country, causing a milky orange haze and a diminished sun as far east as here in D.C. We could see it yesterday. The smoke, carried along by the jet stream, will linger on the east coast through at least Thursday, prompting surreal skies. And some of the Oregon fires continue to grow, but one of the bigger ones, the Almeda fire, that has ravaged communities in the southern part of Oregon, has now been 100% contained. It's a rare victory in what's been an alarmingly busy debut to the fire season. And in California, 
more than 16,600 firefighters continue to face off night and day against 25 major wildfires across the Golden State. The California blazes have now burned more than 3.3 million acres and destroyed more than 4,200 structures. Number two, the chief product engineer for Boeing's 737 MAX told House investigators that he approved a critical design change to software on the plane, even though he was unaware of key details about how it worked or of a previous warning from a test pilot that if the system malfunctioned, the results could be catastrophic. That was what happened in October 2018, and again the following March. When the software forced down the noses of two of the new planes in a way their pilots could not overcome, causing crashes that killed 346 people. The engineer's acknowledgement is one of several revelations contained in a new report being released today by investigators from the House Transportation Committee. The document details myriad gaps in oversight that allowed federal regulators to certify a plane was safe to fly, even though officials at both Boeing and the FAA did not fully understand how it was designed. After months of foot dragging by the FAA. The House investigators in May were allowed to finally view a draft oversight report that was written months after that initial MAX crash in Indonesia. The February 2019 draft report considered Boeing's actions in the years before the deadly incident, and its conclusions shocked the congressional investigators. The FAA's examination did not reveal any non-compliance by Boeing, meaning that the aerospace giant was found to have followed federal safety regulations even though the result was a flawed plane. One month after that draft report was prepared, saying that Boeing had been in compliance, the second MAX crashed, this time in Ethiopia. The final committee report on the MAX offers the clearest indication yet that Boeing, or the unit tasked with overseeing the certification process on the FAA's behalf, could have caught flaws in the MAX's flight control system during the design stage but it failed to act on concerns that were raised about the flawed maneuvering characteristics augmentation system, which was identified as a key factor in both of the crashes. The Boeing employees were driven in part by what investigators say was immense pressure from executives to get the new planes to customers quickly and without requiring pilots to undergo extensive retraining. This goal was symbolized by countdown clocks that were on the walls of conference rooms, FAA officials have testified that the agency has learned lessons from the crashes and defended the federal oversight system, noting that it has produced a stellar safety record overall. But the extent of the agency's efforts to address its failures remains uncertain, and lawmakers in both parties, in both the House and the Senate, are now seriously considering ways to strengthen the FAA oversight of Boeing and other companies. Number three, in Kentucky, Louisville announced a $12 million settlement yesterday in changes to policing as part of an agreement with Breonna Taylor's family. Louisville police killed the 26-year-old Taylor while executing a no-knock search warrant at her apartment during a drug raid in March that uncovered no illegal substances and has become a driving symbol in the Black Lives Matter movement. The settlement, which follows a wrongful death lawsuit that Taylor's family filed back in May, requires police commanders to approve all search warrant applications that are submitted to a judge. Louisville Mayor Greg Fisher, a Democrat, said during a news conference that police will also have to conduct extensive risk assessments before applying for warrants. At least two officers now will be required to have their body cameras turned on when money seized during an investigation is impounded, counted, or processed. And in an effort to bolster police departments' ties to the community, officers will be given up to two hours per week of paid time for community service. 
The department is also going to explore incentives for officers to live in low-income areas of the city. Louisville has also agreed to hire more mental health experts and pair them up with police officers who respond to calls. The settlement does not include an admission of wrongdoing by the city or the officers involved in the raid. Juanita Baker, an attorney for the Taylor family, said her clients do not plan to file additional lawsuits. Louisville's settlement will not affect the ongoing investigation by Kentucky's Republican Attorney General Daniel Cameron of whether the officers who raided Taylor's apartment should face criminal charges stemming from her death. The Justice Department is also investigating the case. And that's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, September 16th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you.